we all have needs and uh, design thinking and taking these approaches really speaks to the core of our human experience. We call it the collective imagination. Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 86 with Tom Lockwood and Edgar Papke. These two men joined together to help large enterprises innovate using design thinking and leadership psychology. You can find their contact information in the show notes. So Tom and Edgar, why don't we start by telling us a little bit about how you guys came together and and how you got interested in the space of innovation by design. Uh, This is Tom Lockwood speaking. Edgar and I have known each other for a number of years and both respected our work. In fact, we worked together um, at uh, Storage Technology Corporation for a short period of time. Uh, But over the years, our careers were kind of parallel, but in different spaces. Edgar specializes in leadership. He's a leadership psychologist, so he specializes in helping boards and leadership teams be in alignment and kind of um, find the true meaning of what what they're trying to do in their work. And I come from the design side, the corporate design side, whether that's industrial design or UX design and communications design, all of that together, which kind of rolls into this idea of um, design by innovation. So the idea of design thinking is uh, inspiring to both of us from a creative point of view. And when we started comparing our thoughts about how businesses change and how innovation happens, we realized that you need this sort of marriage between the personal side or the HR side of a business and corporate culture and change and change leadership with innovation tools separate from scientific innovation. And then you can really see some amazing things happen. And there's an awful lot of case studies out there about that. So we just decided to research what companies are doing and see what we could learn, see what the market was telling us. I understand that the book has a lot of it's been based on over you know, 70 interviews and extensive research uh, with organizations out there. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about kind of who you talk to or, or what, what are some of the biggest findings that you had that you put into the book? In terms of who we talked to and how we went about collecting information, the interviews actually cover a pretty broad span, everything from uh, product uh, managers and people responsible for product design, as well as people within organizations, CEOs, executives. So there's quite a blend of different, uh, what I would suggest are levels, as well as roles that people have in organizations and those that we spoke to. I think that one of the biggest surprises, uh, if anything, was the level at which design thinking is being used in organizations that are highly innovative. When we began uh, having conversations with people in organizations, the study group that uh, we used for the book, the 21 organizations, they pretty much led us to one another, uh, as well as a couple that we, uh, Tom and I decided that uh, we wanted to have in the group. And uh, surprisingly, one of the aspects is how well-versed they were at design thinking and how much leadership was aligned to the use of design thinking through the organization as a means of creating higher levels of creativity, greater levels of collaboration, all of the things that executives and organizations yearn for, these organizations were getting out in front of it and doing quite well. So would you say that corporations that seem to be more innovative and and are doing it are using specific techniques or are are there patterns that you saw with the companies that were more innovative than, than less innovative? Yeah, I think the uh, I think certainly when you look at the idea of and the process of design thinking, 
they all have very similar approaches. One of the things that uh, some of the organizations in the study group did quite successfully and what they continue to do quite successfully is create their own modeling around it and actually internal branding. Mm -hmm. This idea of how it is that we engage the customer and how we engage one another and creating alignment around that. And I think that in and of itself is quite powerful. That's an interesting take because we do a lot of lean startup training and that, and, and it is interesting to see which corporations kind of take the terminology and the skill sets and the tactics, but then to reapply that for their own specific culture, et cetera. I was just going to add to that, and you just uh, finished off your comment with it, is that the uniqueness of the culture has so much to do with how it is that design thinking gets integrated into the culture and how much it can affect a culture. One of the outcomes here is the understanding that you can actually apply design thinking in this higher level of uh, design around awareness and interpreting and understanding human emotion and behavior, and then actually be able to understand and look at your culture through that lens and find the uniqueness within the culture that allows you to understand how to use design thinking. And on the flip side of that, be able to utilize that to actually create the unique culture that you're, that you're seeking. And that's particularly useful for small organizations and startups larger organizations, it gives them a lens through which to be able to interpret and better observe and measure their cultures. Absolutely. Tom, so you've been in the in the design space for a while. You said, how have you seen this design thinking kind of evolve from what I think has been traditionally thought of as like product development and, and that to become more of a thought throughout an organization? I've seen it change a great deal. I mean, for years uh, as design leaders, you know, my background is in design management. So We've always said that we're fighting for a um, seat at the table, that design was always viewed, whether it's product design or UX design or even communications design, that we were viewed as, say, sprinkling on the cake. You know, when it was about ready to go to market, we needed to brand it and make it look nice. But we always wanted a seat at the table because we could help problem solve, too. And that's definitely happened. I think it's happened so much that a lot of people are kind of struggling with uh, how much of a role to play and how to be more integrated into the company. So I think for a lot of time there, you know, the design community was learning about design management and trying to learn about business. Now the business community is trying to learn about design and user experience and human-centered design. And what does that mean? So there's definitely kind of emerging that's happening. But another big thing that happened is corporate design directors are kind of going the direction, the way that corporate quality went years ago. With quality, it used to be that there was sort of a certain quality department, you know, that was trying to do uh, lead quality through the company, through Six Sigma and different initiatives like that. But when it really, um, be, really took off is when employees at large get empowered and be responsible for quality. And I think, think the same thing has happened with design thinking that corporate design directors or uh, leaders are realizing that design thinking is not just a methodology for the design department to use. It can be a methodology for people across the company to use. And so they're partnering with uh, corporate universities and with HR and with different change initiatives and uh, employee training initiatives. And so now what we're seeing is design thinking at scale. And that's where you get into culture change of a company. And um, that's, I think, where the power r really happens. 
So Edgar or Tom, can you can you talk a little bit, maybe some stories or examples that you either found in your research or you, you've come across in your uh, day-to-day lives that uh, that can help give some best practices to our, our audience out there? Okay, let's look at Intuit, okay? Intuit is an accounting software company, and when they went into business, uh, how, however many years ago it was, there was, you know, any number of 15 or 20 different accounting type companies out there, but they've, they've emerged to be a leader in, in the industry. And one of the things that they did is Scott Cook originally was intrigued by companies like 3M that had this 15% rule of where employees can be creative for 15% of the time. But being an accounting company, they didn't really know how to do that or what that would mean. And they looked at at other companies like P&G that started to adopt that strategy and even Google has. And it wasn't until he learned about design thinking that he realized, wow, we can have employees solve customer problems with customers. And all of a sudden, they that helped that company move from being like a software in a box company to an app company and a cloud company, but also from a company that's just creating a product to push um, into different market segments to a company that co-creates solutions with you know, various end users. And sometimes that's, you know, yields unexpected product and service results that they didn't, you know, initially predict. So this idea of co-creation and then that that helps companies sort of uh, solve the right problems, so figure out with their customers what are their real problems and help solve them is, uh, that's a significant change that's happening. And if you, uh, if you take that a step further and you just simply look at through the lens that moving close to the customer is better understanding the human experience so that the uh, there's an alignment of the innovative process there's an alignment of the intention of the innovation that speaks directly to that end user and then being able to also take that and internalize it so within within an organization and to be able to apply that to processes and systems within the organization as well that then goes back to that a uh, very powerful idea of that you can actually influence the culture and influence how people are engaged and levels of fulfillment and commitment that are created internally in the organization. One of the examples in the book is uh, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, and they're responsible primarily for growing the uh, New Zealand's economy on a global scale. And working with them, their ability to take this design thinking approach to actually breaking down and uh, taking a look at the culture of the organization on a worldwide basis, and then looking at it through the lens of what's the experience of, of leadership and what's the experience of employees in the organization, and actually in a very intentional way, redesigning the, the culture of the organization so that it has an, a worldwide influence and impact. It's a very, very powerful means we see through this focus on the actual end user that can be taken from the spectrum of the customer all the way through internally to employees and and people within the context of the... Yeah, that brings up an interesting question because, you know, it's not just about the tactics and the execution of design thinking and, and, you know, getting close to your customer and that, you know, a lot of the pitfalls that we've seen is, especially with existing corporations, is they have a lot of customers they could go out and talk to and that, but but they have... And when they do, it's through the the lens of their existing relationship, their existing business models, their existing mm-hmm. uh, framework, uh, rather than taking more of a, a 
design thinking approach of let's understand what the customer's general problems are and then build and deliver around that because typically corporations a lot of times are so wed to their old business models and their old ways of doing things it's very difficult to to understand and see that new customer as a new customer so to speak yeah and having that understanding then allows you to also apply it to early stage and smaller organizations that are just getting their feet underneath themselves and to understand that these are all possibilities for being much more intentional in terms of uh, creating innovative cultures and uh, much more intentional in terms of process and, and system that they engage in. And as they grow and scale, how important it is to be able to get out in front of that. So the lessons learned by larger organizations or organizations that are already creating those kinds of changes, those lessons can be applied to early stage and smaller organizations as they grow and scale and help them to do so much more effectively and successfully. So when you're finding success um, by companies that are kind of adopting this this culture and adopting this design thinking approach, uh, are you seeing it being driven from the bottom up or, or top down or a combination? Which ones uh, and where are the pitfalls in, in those particular approaches? I thought we're seeing it both. It's bottom yeah. up and it's top down for sure. One of the pitfalls, though, is when it is top down, if those executive, uh, we've seen a couple of examples where there's been an executive in a business unit that's been very proactive about this. And then if that executive leaves that company, these initiatives without ownership have have actually failed. Now, that's not to say that the employees still don't want to do design thinking, and they still do do design thinking. But if it's not part of a business process or an innovation process, if it's more ad hoc, it has less likelihood of success. Now, you also look at, at the modern day worker, people just gravitate to doing design thinking because we naturally want to be involved and want to contribute and want, want to be listened to and want to share our ideas. And so as people, I think, move from company to company, they want to take this skill set with them and expect it to be part of a way that companies operate these days. So in some of the cases, we've seen a groundswell of people that have just, it's just emerged up and then leaders have said, okay, let's embrace this and go for it. In other cases, it's been mandated from a top or middle level down and cascaded out from there. Now, Edgar, um, tell me a little bit about some of the reasons why you think this, uh, this phenomenon has kind of been adopted. You know, you look at some of the changes in the market space, whether it's, you know, technologies, pricing being cheaper and cheaper, uh, you know, access to markets getting uh, more and more accessible, all these kind of distribution and, and disruptive things happening out there. What are some of the things that you're seeing from a trend perspective that would encourage uh, organizations to even look at this particular process as a, as a way to drive their culture? Yeah, I think that's, uh, as I listen to your question, uh, there's, I think there's three thoughts that just kind of race through my mind. The first one is there is a necessity. And that necessity is that keeping up and creating change at the at the pace um, that we're in, and it's it's something that we all understand and we're aware of that keeping up with uh, with change and the pace of change requires us to be able to move human beings through that. And so that's the point that Tom's now alluding to is that the second thought is that uh, business is, is a human art. It's all about the fulfillment of human desire and and our needs and wants through products and services. And so we really, in essence, all human beings primarily are, are motivated by three, uh, three forces. 
One is that we all have a desire to want to participate, to be involved, which creates our social creativity and our coming together and wanting to work with one another and be connected to one another. The second is that we all want to be competent. And there's this idea of the pursuit of knowledge. And so we have participation. Then together, what we do is we we uh, pursue knowledge and we pursue information and ways to understand and to solve problems together because we all do we all want to get better and be more competent and it's an innate drive that we all have as human beings and the third one is that we all want to be able to express ourselves openly and freely that the idea of free expression and so that no idea is a bad idea i can take a risk and speak what i think see and feel without um, being fearful of a negative consequence and looking at design thinking through that lens reminds us of the importance of that human creativity, that human drive that we all share, and allows that to come to the forefront through participation, through the pursuit of knowledge, and then through our ability to freely express. And so it's very natural to us. And so then that brings me to the third thought, and that is that having a process and having a means through which to accomplish that is so, so powerful. And uh, human beings enjoyed the predictability of being safe and being able to express themselves, to be involved, to pursue knowledge. And uh, design thinking allows for that space. It allows for a process that's predictable and feels safe for people to to engage in that. And that, in essence, is then is the source of all creativity. It's it's very interesting too because you know when you think about it, bringing it back to that individual is so important because design thinking and and the creation of value within a corporation, whether it's a product or the company itself is such a team sport. And how do you then use these principles to not only affect the team's results, but the the individual that are, that's, that are making up those particular teams. Yeah. And that goes back to something that Tom said before that uh, is very powerful to understand. And that is that the alignment of leadership and the ability of leadership through an organization to actually be engaged and to, to support and to motivate the means of creativity very often leaders become disconnected from that or they don't quite see it at the, at the value that it holds. And so making sure that uh, as leaders in organizations that we're engaging in processes and systemically seeing the value and seeing the value on an, an influence on a culture, that's a very powerful trait to highly uh, innovative organizations, regardless of their size. So Tom or Edgar, anything else you'd like to add or or, or... Uh, tell our audience about uh, what they should expect in the book or, or other things? I, I think that, and maybe we're biased, but we see that this concept of design thinking, again, going back to the analogy of corporate quality, when it really, really got traction is when it is extended across the entire workforce or made available to people. We see this as the um, of a glimpse of a business mega trend that's happening right now. When you look at the the human needs people have that Edgar just explained, and you couple that with the need for innovation, and you couple that with how, say, Gen X and Gen Y and millennials want to work and want to be involved with a company and want to make a difference, but also see themselves as free agents that can transfer from company to company and share their ideas. And you couple that with the fact that, as a for example, IBM has trained 50,000 people in design thinking. Intuit has trained 10,000 people, which is their entire employee population, every single employee at Intuit. 
Uh, Deutsche Telekom has trained 8,000. 3M right now is ramping up to train 20,000 people uh, in next year alone. GE Healthcare has trained 6,000 people. Kaiser Permanente has trained 15,000 people, whether they're nurses, doctors, administrators, insurance people, whatever, caregivers, 15,000 people. So the the numbers suggest that um, something's happening here, that the, these companies are getting results, that today's employee is, you know, likes to engage with this type of thinking, that these companies that I'm mentioning are not relying strictly on scientific methods of innovation or technology-based innovation. They're they're looking for human-centered innovation. And we think this is just the tip of the iceberg, that this is this will become a normal way of innovation and a normal way of business in in the foreseeable future. And so we're just really excited to be able to help turn people on to this kind of thinking. You know, that's really all that's in it for us is we just want to share <laughs> what we see happening with the market so that people feel empowered to uh, to contribute you know, to the best of their ability and to be creative and, and ultimately to solve the right problems, not just the, you know, short-term incremental innovation, but what is it really that matters and how can we, how can we help solve those problems? And to piggyback on that, I th- if you just step back and see that we're right now increasing our awareness of uh, human behavior and human motivation, and applying it at just incredible levels in terms of understanding user and customer experience. And again, that translates directly into not just an increase in understanding human motivation and human behavior, it's how to then use it and accelerate it further through the use of a great creative process. And at the end of the day, we get excited about design thinking as being that process in one shape, form, or another, how powerful it is. That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, go out and innovate.